What is up, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the 3 and D. I'm Paul Lombardi. I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Review and Preview Network for my weekly NBA and college basketball show. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. In tonight's episode, we'll be talking some NBA. I know I've kind of put NBA in the backseat over the past couple of weeks with the amount of uh, tournament stuff going on, but we're going to talk some NBA. We're going to give a few updates, then we'll talk some college coaching changes. There's a lot of big coaching decisions that have gone down throughout the week. And, of course, preview the Sweet 16 after an insane week of the round of 30, round of 60, round of 64, and then round of 32. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. It was an action-packed week of, of college basketball, the, to say the least. I absolutely loved it. Um, we had some wild finishes. We had, you know, a few big upsets. We had the, the St. Peter's storyline, which, you know, we'll, we'll definitely have to go over later on in the show, but there was no, um, no shortage of amazing March moments. And, uh, it's only going to get better now that the sweet 16 and the elite eight will t- take place this upcoming weekend. And then, We'll have the final four and the national championship the weekend after. But first things first, we'll lead off with a little bit of NBA. So we'll do a little NBA check-in. You know, just like I was saying, you know, the Knicks fell out of contention. Um, college basketball has been in strong force. So the NBA has definitely um, taken a back seat, especially on this show. But we're going to go over a little bit of what's going down in the league. So, First off, a little standings, a uh, little look at the standings. Team's got about 10 games left. Um, and a little bit, look, a little quick look at the playoff picture in both the East and the West, the Eastern Conference. Uh, Miami Heat right now have locked up the, locked up a playoff spot, and they're sitting at number one right now at 47-25. Uh, they're, they're in first, then there's a three-way tie for second with the Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics are all two and a half out. Um, 44 and 20, 44 and 27, and then the Celtics are 45 and 28. So you got those four teams: the Heat, Sixers, and Bucks, and Celtics are all kind of smashed up in the in the top uh, in the top four in the East. It lo- really looks like it could go any which way. 
with all of these seedings, to be completely honest with you. It looks like it can, it can go a variety of different ways. Uh, we got Tom Scavetta, Notre Dame definitely underseeded. Good run. I I did not expect them to win a game, let alone two games. So, um, you know, as as we uh, as you saw last week in our uh, me and Tom's bracket show, I had Rutgers beating uh, beating them in the playing game. But that was a good look, good little run for Notre Dame right there. But the the look at the standings in the NBA again. Um, you got the Heat, Sixers, and Bucks, and Celtics all in the top four. It looks like those are going to be the top four seeds in, in any which in any which order. Then you got the Chicago Bulls who are sitting at five and the Cleveland Cavaliers who are sitting at six. Um, and the Bulls are four and a half out. The Cavs are six out. And then you got the play, the play in spots at seven through 10 are the Raptors currently are only one game behind the Cavs and seven games out. So I'm telling, I'm telling you the Raptors have had some season, you know, I, I definitely wrote them off in my preseason predictions as, you know, Definitely not going to do a ton, but 40 and 32, 10 games left in the season. They're sitting in the seventh spot right now. They're trying to avoid that play in, you know, they're only one game behind the Cavs for the sixth spot. So I, you know, I give a ton of credit to them. And then the Brooklyn Nets obviously have struggled all year long. They've had so many issues. The James Harden fiasco, Kyrie Irving barely being able to play. Uh, ben Simmons now probably will not play this season, it seems like, but it's, they're 38 and 34. They're nine out. So it looks like they're, you know, they, they're they're technically only three out of not playing in the play-in. But, you know, with 10 games left, in my opinion, I think that they're pretty much destined to play in the play-in. Um, and as of right now, it would be Nets versus Raptors in the play-in game for the seventh seed. And then you got the Hornets at nine, who are 37-35, 10 games out. Um, and then the Hawks at 11 and a half out uh, in the 10th spot. And then... You have the bottom five who have pretty much been eliminated to this point because the play the the ten playoff teams are pretty much set in the East because the Hawks are eleven and a half out for that final playing spot. It's the ten, and then you have the Wizards at eleven who are sixteen and a half out with ten with eleven to play. They're five games out of first, and they're tied with the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks are also sixteen and a half out, so five. So they're five games out of the ten spot with eleven to play. Um, just just not going to be likely most likely not going to happen. Um, but so the 10 teams are pretty much set for the most part in the East, but it's, you know, the question will be what the seedings will look like, all that kind of stuff. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Sixers or the Bucks move up to that one spot. The Heat have had kind of a stronghold on the one seed for a while now in the Eastern Conference, to be completely honest with you. And the Celtics, I'll, I'll give you, I'll tell you what, the Celtics um last couple of years they lacked a lot underperformed you know and i love watching the celtics underperform as a knicks fan but gotta give them credit where credit is due they become one of the best defensive teams in the league ime udoka is becoming one of the better young head coaches in the nba um their roster is finally being put together robert williams is becoming a legitimate big man marcus smart is you know Everybody, everybody knew how great of a defensive player he was, but now he's just becoming, you know, in that upper echelon of, you know, um, some of the some of the best defensive guys in the league. So, got to give credit where credit is due, especially the Celtics. So they they've been pretty amazing. And then in the Western Conference, Phoenix Suns have pretty much wrapped up the one seed. Um, they have a nine game lead with 10 to play. So unless, 
they have an incredible fall and the Grizzlies win out, uh, there's the Suns are pretty much going to get the one seed. So, so they're sitting with the best record in the NBA at 15 and 14. The Grizzlies are sitting at number two, though, with the second best record in the NBA, 49 and 23, nine games out um, behind the Suns. Grizzlies have been an incredible story this year. John Morant's definitely going to finish in the top three in MVP voting, whether he wins it or not. I feel like I was high on the. I, I got to do probably next episode. I'll do um, my updated uh, NBA MVP ladder because I haven't done that um, in a few weeks with all the college basketball and stuff going on. But uh, I'll do that for the next week's episode. And, you know, I had Embiid at number one for a long time. And I, I think he's been overmatched by Jokic, especially with how incredible uh, Jokic has played this year. I think that Jokic highly likely will win back his back-to-back MVPs. But you got the Grizzlies at two. Then you got the Warriors, who are a game and a half behind the Grizzlies, ten and a half out of first. Uh, the Jazz are sitting in fourth. Dallas is sitting in fifth. And Denver is sitting in sixth. And they're all pretty much on top of each other. The Warriors have a comfortable lead in third. But the Jazz, Mavericks, and Nuggets at four, five, and six – um, Jazz are 13 out, Mavs are 14 out, and Nuggets are 16 out. So there could be movement any which way. And then there's the Minnesota Timberwolves, who the Timberwolves have been one of the better teams in the second half this entire season. And they're only half a game behind the Nuggets now. They're at, they're in the seven spot, so technically they're playing in the play-in, but um, they're very, very close to you know kicking the Nuggets out and kicking them into the into the play. And they've been on a roll, one ten of their last 12. We'll actually go over them in a few. But then, And then you got the bottom. It's really the top seven teams that have been dominant. And then you got the bottom, the Clippers, game under 500 at eight. The Lakers are 10 games under 500 now at nine. And the Pelicans are 12 games under 500 at 10. And the Spurs, Spurs, Trailblazers, Kings, Thunder, and Rockets are the bottom five who are not in playoff spots right now. As of right now, the the Timberwolves would play, would host the Clippers for the 7-8 game, and then the Lakers would host the Pelicans, and the winner of that game would play the loser of 7-8 to see who gets eight. So, um, And then that's what it looks like it's probably going to end up being. The Lakers have struggled mightily this season. They'll probably end up getting one of these playing spots. You know, with 10 games left, they have a three-game lead for a playing spot, but ahead of the Spurs, who are 30 games back, they're 27. Uh, Pelicans are 28, but the question is, are they going to be the 9 or the 10 seed? Um, they're not going to catch up to the Clippers, most likely, who are four and a half ahead of them uh, with 10 games left. But the Pelicans are only one game behind the Lakers, so the Lakers could be looking at a 10 seed and having to play, having to win two away games just to get an 8 seed and match up with the Suns in the first round. I mean, it's pretty crazy, honestly, that it's, that we're looking at that. But that's the kind of season that the Lakers have had this year. And it's pretty incredible, the downfall. Um, you know, can't credit much of it to LeBron James, but, you know, we've been, we've been over the Lakers plenty of times this season. So we're going to jump to a different team that – has kind of taken the NBA by storm in the second half, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves have won 10 of their last 12 quietly. They're sitting at 42 and 31 right now. So right now this season, uh, Carl Anthony Towns has been unbelievable. He's finally stayed healthy for a full season and it's showing 
He's one of the best players in the league. Uh, Anthony Edwards is becoming a stud in his second season in the league, averaging 21 points. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has become a good third option, averaging 18 and a half and seven assists. They all around have a good team. Patrick Beverly, too, um, kind of changing that environment. You know, I think that the, those were those kind of pickups were huge pickups because, um, you know, those guys are winners. Torian Prince, the those kind of guys were huge additions because the Timberwolves, you know, they need veteran leadership of guys who have been in the playoffs before because, you know, D'Angelo Russell hasn't made it very far in the playoffs. Towns has only made it to the playoffs once. Um, and that was, you know, when the Timberwolves broke the curse a few years ago when Thibodeau was their head coach. Uh, after like 17 years or something like that, if not making the playoffs, they finally made this. Uh, it was it was pretty bad. And so he's only been like there once. Anthony Edwards hasn't been there, obviously only his second year. So they need a little, a little bit of veteran leadership. And that's what they've gotten in a couple of these trades. Um, and they've gotten some good plug-and-play kind of guys too. You know, Jared Vanderbilt's had a very solid season for them. Um, and then you've got a few guys coming off the, off the bench, Josh Okoji, um, Jalen Noel, all been Nas Reed have all been quality guys for the Timberwolves. So, you know, I've liked, I've liked what I've seen from the Timberwolves. I thought that, you know, it's pretty impressive. Um, they kind of jump that they've made this season. They are really beginning to turn around, uh, that franchise, a little bit and they're finally accumulating some of the uh the talent to do so though too you know anthony edwards probably um is starting to become a very very solid player carl anthony towns is a star and as long as he stays healthy that's also one of the big keys uh towns has stayed healthy to this point of the season but when he's healthy the team is good the team revolves around him but he's had a lot of injury issues throughout his career obviously so the question is, will he be able to stay healthy for a long period of time? That's going to be the difference maker for the Timberwolves, in my opinion. Um, so that's that's going to wrap it up for our NBA talk. 16 minutes of NBA. I mean, college basketball is jam-packed right now. So we have to go over as much stuff as we can. So first up, the coaching carousel. Um, so many head coaching changes have gone down this past week. Teams that are being eliminated from the tournament teams that didn't make the tournament teams getting eliminated from the NIT. They're all firing, uh, firing their coaches, hiring new coaches. Certain coaches are leaving their programs to get bigger jobs. So with that, with that being said, the most notable one is Kevin Willard, Kevin Willard, the Seton hall head coach took the Maryland job. So Maryland, obviously they fired Mark Turgeon during the season and everybody knew that that was going to be one of the top jobs this this coming off season to fill, and Kevin Willard ended up getting it. Uh, Willard was the head coach of Iona from 2007 to 2010, and was Seton Hall's head coach for 13 seasons from 2010 to 2022. At the end of this year, he had a career 270 and 210 record, and he has one career tournament win in 2018 for Seton Hall. Um, great recruiter. They've been able to bring in a lot of talent to that Seton Hall program. And, yeah, you know, I think that 
it's a good get for Maryland. You know, Maryland needs to get back on track. Um, the Turgeon era did not bode well for them. They were not able to stay very competitive. They were not able to, you know, land a lot of the top guys. So that finally came to an end. And I think Kevin Willard is a good get for them. And then the other, another big one that went down to the SEC, a ton of jobs became available in the SEC, but Matt McMahon, uh, probably being the most notable one, Murray State's head coach took the LSU job. Obviously, LSU fired Will Wade right before the tournament um, because of scandals and you know stuff they basically couldn't overlook. Uh, so they ended up firing him before the tournament. LSU ended up getting eliminated first round, and Matt McMahon will be the new head coach. And LSU is already starting to fall apart. They had a few recruits coming in that are already decommitting after Will Wade got fired. Um, so Mad McMahon, he did a great job at Murray State, founded John Morant when nobody wanted him, um, done amazing things with them, led them to a, a great season this year, got knocked down in the round of 32, but um, in all of the all-around amazing season with only two losses. He did a great job at Murray State, and he's going to have a big cleanup duty at LSU because – there's going to there's a lot of players decommitting. I can I can guarantee you right now there's going to be a lot of players transferring out too. Uh, Tari Eason I'm sure is going to enter the draft. He's probably going to be a first round pick. But some of the better players, if Darius stays, I I'm not sure if Darius stays as a fifth year senior, but if he has a fifth year, I I could see him potentially transferring out. Xavier Pinson might end up transferring out. They he's going to have to he's going to have a mop up duty to do at LSU and try to rebuild that program. But he did a tremendous job at Murray State uh, finding some talents in the rough. And I think this was a good get for them to try to, uh, you know, get his program back on track. So good luck to Mad Move, man. Hopefully some of these guys, some of these top recruits that they landed don't decommit. So he has some talent for next year, but, you know, we'll see. I, I anticipate a lot of these guys are probably going to decommit in. I think a lot of a lot of their better players are either going to stay in the draft or uh, transfer out after this season. And then Jerome Tang took over the Kansas State job. Kansas State uh, and Bruce Weber uh, mutually parted ways after Weber was there for a while. Jerome Tang was the associate head coach under Scott Drew at Baylor for all 18 seasons that Scott Drew was at Baylor. Jerome Tang was his right-hand man. So this guy has been a long waiting for a head coach job. This is his first head coach job. Um, he, you know, has learned learned under one of the best uh, in the business over the past 20 years in Scott Drew. So I think, I think this is a good get for Kansas State. You know, Kansas State hasn't been extremely competitive over the last few years. You know, giving this guy, um, giving Tang a chance could definitely be good. And then the Miller brothers, which were very interesting. Sean Miller took over the Xavier job. So Xavier uh, parted ways with Steele, um, who was their head coach. And now Sean Miller returns to Xavier. Sean Miller was Xavier's head coach from 2004 to 2009. And then obviously, you know, everybody remembers him as Arizona's head coach from 2009 to 2021 and ended up getting fired before last season. Um, After last season, before this season, due to recruiting violations, um, but about like a year ago from now, he got fired. Um, they, you know, exposed a lot of recruiting violations. He was under scrutiny, all that kind of stuff. So he spent a, a year out of college basketball. And now he's going to be heading back to Xavier, heading back to the Big East. 
422 and 156 career record and four career Elite Eight appearances. He's never made it to the Final Four or the National Championship, but he's made it to four Elite Eights um, in in his time with Xavier and at Arizona. And, you know, for as time at Arizona, his 13 seasons there, he had some incredible talent, some top picks in the NBA draft, Got it, had Aaron Gordon, had DeAndre Aiden, uh, just to name a few. Um, you know, he's, he's a tremendous recruiter, but... Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how he fares going back to Xavier for the first time since he left. And then his brother, Archie Miller, is headed to Rhode Island, a five-year, $8.5 million contract. Uh, Archie Miller was the head coach of Dayton from 2011 to 2017, kind of put Dayton on the map. Um, and then he ended up leaving for the Indiana job where he did not do much. Uh, he was he was at Indiana from 2017 to 2021, and then he left before last season. Um, and they replaced him with Mike Woodson, obviously, but he's a career 206 and 121 career record, and he has five career tournament wins, Archie Miller. So good gift for Rhode Island. Um, URI has been struggling. They've, they've had some talent over the last several years, you know, been able to sneak some guys into the NBA as undrafted players. They've been able to land a few little talent, um, but they haven't been able to really compete in the A-10 very much. And I think that bringing in Archie Miller is a good one. You know, I, th- I, I like both of those moves. I like, um, I like Sean Miller getting a second chance and, and going back to where he got it all started. And I like Archie Miller going to Rhode Island, trying to fix up that program a little bit. Got a nice five-year, $8.5 million contract from them. Try to bring in some recruits, try to get them a little bit more competitive in the A-10 in the coming years. You know, a, a little bit of a bigger name. And then Todd Golden takes over the Florida job. So Mike White left Florida to take the Georgia job. And um, Mike White didn't get fired or anything like that. He just, he decided to leave Florida to take the Georgia job, which was a very interesting move. But until we get the specifics on the money and all that kind of stuff, it's, it's tough to tell, uh, you know, the reasoning behind it. But I'm sure that Georgia probably wooed him with, a bigger contract than he was getting pay, paid at Florida because, you know, Florida is a little bit of a bigger powerhouse in the SEC than Georgia, especially over the last 20 years. But Todd Golden takes over the Florida job. Todd Golden was the head coach of San Francisco from 2019 to 2022, brought them to the tournament this past year. They lost in the first round in Murray State, um, 36 years old. So he's young, getting a chance, 57 and 36 career record. And this, this year was his one tournament appearance. So, one of the good young head coaches, you know, the common trend in a lot of these hirings is first time head coaches uh, for these big jobs, you know, guys that have been associate head coaches for a while, assistant head coaches, or even just head coaches for a few years, but have done well with, you know, only somewhat decent teams. Todd Golden did a good job at San Francisco for the few years he was there. So, He's going to be taking over the Florida job, which will definitely be an interesting get. And then Dennis Gates takes over the Missouri job. Um, Dennis Gates was the head coach of Cleveland State from 2019 to 2022. Before that, he was the longtime Florida State assistant under Leonard Hamilton. So he's a Leonard Hamilton disciple. Um, Dennis Gates takes over the Missouri job. 50-40 and career record, one tournament appearance um, a couple of years ago. They played in the NIT this year, Cleveland State. They just missed making it to the tournament, had another good year. But he's kept Cleveland State somewhat competitive, so he's going to get the Missouri job. Um, Mizzou can do 
is going to try whatever they can to uh, to get back on track. They have not. They have struggled big time since um, for a while. You know, over the last like twenty years, I would say. And then final notable head coaching move: Chris Jans takes over the Mississippi State job. Uh, Jans was most notably the head coach of Bowling Green for one season in 2014-15 and has been the head coach at New Mexico State for the past six years, and they won a tournament game. We we all saw that with um with with uh, Teddy. I forget what the guy's name was who completely went off, but he did a great job in New Mexico State over the past five seasons. So he's taken over at the Mississippi State job. Uh, good get for Mississippi State, you know, good gamble. I think he's been, he's been solid in New Mexico state might be able to bring some recruits over and, you know, definitely interesting. A lot of sec openings. So, you know, we got a lot of movement, obviously Georgia got Mike white. You got Florida, Missouri, Mississippi state, all of them and, and LSU, all of them bringing in first time head coaches, uh, bringing in brand new head coaches next year to the sec. So that'll, that'll definitely make things interesting. So that's the coaching carousel that's gone around, obviously, um, you know, more things I'm sure will pop up, you know, teams that, uh, are in the tournament still cough, cough, St. Peter's. There's a lot of rumors now, now that the Seton hall job is open since Kevin Willard left to go to Maryland. Uh, Shaheen, everyone believes that Shaheen Holloway, the head coach of St. Peter's is eschewing to get to be the next head coach of Seton Hall. He played at Seton Hall in the early 2000s. Um, he, you know, he's he'd be, almost be a perfect fit. New York kid. Um, they, everyone thinks that that's kind of almost a layup after you know St. Peter's gets eliminated. That that's going to happen, but we'll wait and see. You know, obviously, if St. Peter's you know, God forbid they uh, they make it to the Final Four. You never know. You really never know. But jumping from that, we'll jump into our Sweet 16 preview. So, so much went down this past weekend. A lot of upsets. A lot of craziness. For the first for the first time ever, we're going to have back-to-back years of 15 seeds being in the Sweet 16. Um, Oral Roberts made it last year. And now we're going to have St. Peter's this year. So this is going to be obviously Oral Roberts didn't make it out of the Sweet 16 last year. So we'll see if St. Peter's can, you know, one up them. But it's absolutely incredible. And um, jumping over to to the games Thursday nights, they go down. First one will be number four Arkansas. First number one Gonzaga will be Thursday night at seven oh nine. I know all weird times. Don't completely understand that. Basically, just seven ten. Um, they it's I don't I don't understand completely why, but that's that's like it for every single tournament. But number four, Arkansas is taking on number one Gonzaga. Arkansas has barely squeaked by twice now. Um they barely beat Vermont in the four versus thirteen matchup. They they won seventy five to seventy one. Vermont was very close to an upset, and then barely beat New Mexico State um the in the round of thirty two. 53 to 48 in a very low scoring game. So Arkansas has barely been squeaking by, but you can also argue that Gonzaga has barely been squeaking by too. So the, that this could make for a very, very interesting game. Uh, JD Note had 18 points and eight steals versus New Mexico State. Uh, Jalen Williams had 10 points, 15 boards against New Mexico State. Uh, they were the top performers. And then you got Gonzaga who beat Georgia State and 
kept Georgia State in it for a good 30, 35 minutes and then eventually tore it open. But it's, it should not have been that close in a one versus 16 games. Gonzaga gave everybody a scare who had um, who had them winning the championship. You know, we, we started getting flashbacks of uh, Virginia in 2018 with with that game. But it's, Gonzaga ended up pulling out and then and then they barely beat Memphis. They won 82 to 78. They were losing the majority of the game. Um, and they were barely able to squeak by. Drew Timmy has been the one outlier. He's been absolutely unreal uh, for the first few games. He he had 25 points, 14 rebounds against Memphis, and then 32 points, 13 rebounds against Georgia State in the first game. So he's been amazing. Andrew Nemhart also added to the scoring against Memphis. He had 23 points, but Holmgren's been providing more of the defense. Uh, accumulating a ton of blocks, but Timmy's been taking over and uh, the rest of the team just kind of has to catch up. This is a very, very interesting game. Um, Arkansas versus Gonzaga. I'm going to have to go with Gonzaga. I'll give you my picks for, for each of these games as we go through, but I'm going to have to go with Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga will pull it out, but Arkansas, both of these teams have underperformed and, you know, both of these teams, quite frankly, scare me a little bit. Um, you know, if but if we get the good Arkansas team and we get a bad Gonzaga team, you know, the, it's a completely different story. Arkansas was able to upset a ton of teams this year, so that'll be interesting. And the next one, which will take place Thursday at 730, number 11, Michigan, who has shocked everybody. Um, you know, I have been on record saying that they shouldn't have made the tournament. Uh, a week ago, and you know they proved me wrong. Made it to the Sweet 16. They have the talent. I mean, I didn't think that their resume was good enough per se, but they always had the talent. I mean, they had the talent to be a top ten, a consistent top ten team in the AP poll all season. They just underperformed, but they're starting to get it together just at the right time. So they're going to be taking on number two Villanova. Um, Michigan beat number six Colorado State in the first round, seventy five to sixty three, and then they beat number three Tennessee in the last round, 76 to 68. Uh, Hunter Dickinson had a huge game against Tennessee, 27 points, 11 boards. Eli Brooks also added 23 points. And then Villanova, on the other hand, destroyed number 15 Delaware in the first round, as they should, 80 to 60, and then had a close game with a, with uh, Ohio State in the first half. They And then they ended up breaking it open in the second half, ended up winning 71 to 61. And that's how they got there, Colin Gillespie at 20 points and Jermaine Samuels at 17 points in eight boards against Ohio state. So two teams that, you know, Michigan is red hot right now. Villanova always makes it deep into the tournament. I don't care who's on their roster. Jay Wright always finds her way, but it's, this is a tough game, but I'm, I'm personally going to have to go with Michigan. I think that Michigan is kind of on a roll right now and, you know, Jawan Howard's got this team locked in. It will be an incredible storyline of a turnaround too, with you know the Jawan Howard suspension to end the season. The team finished eighteen and fourteen to end the season after you know just pro- after supposedly trying supposedly um, going to be a consistent top ten team in all of college basketball this season, but it's um, now they. They fell to eighteen and fourteen, but now they're in the Sweet Sixteen. So if they can, if they can figure it out and get into the Elite Eight, that would be that'd be pretty remarkable. And then I think this might be the best matchup of the weekend: number three Texas Tech versus number two Duke. 
uh, Texas Tech beat Montana State 97 to 62 and beat Notre Dame in the last game 59 to 53 in a very close one. Um, Kevin O'Banner had an amazing game against Notre Dame 15 points, 15 boards. Um, and then Duke, on the other hand, beat Cal State Fullerton in the first round, 15 seed, 78 61, and then beats number seven Michigan State 85 to 76 in a really close game that they were able to pull out in the end. Um, thanks to their uh, future top five pick, Paolo Banchero had 19 points and seven boards. Jeremy Roach had 15 points to add along with it against Michigan State. Tough game. Um, I've loved Texas Tech all season long. Um, Duke is also another sneaky team. If they're locked in, you know, it's very tough to pick against them. But I'm taking Texas Tech in this game just because they're suffocating defense. I think it's going to give Duke some fits. Um, I I love the direction that this Texas Tech team is going. I love this. I've, you know, paid such close attention to them all season long. Um, and I I really like Texas Tech. I really like Tech. Um and I think that it's highly likelihood that they can pick off this game. But this game could go either way. You really just never know. Um, and then the next one, we got number five, Houston, taking on number one, Arizona. Um, Houston has pretty much dominated so far in their first few matchups. They took on number 12, UAB, who a lot of people had as a potential upset in the first round. I didn't, but a lot of people did. They ended up winning 82-68. to And then they took on number four, Illinois, on Sunday and ended up destroying them 68 to 53. It was close for uh for a good amount of time, but they busted it open in the end. Jamal Sheed had 18 points against Illinois. Houston locked in right now. Kelvin Sampson's got that team um absolutely locked in. So yeah, this this could be a very, very difficult matchup, especially against Arizona. Um and Arizona beat Wright State in the first round, a one versus sixteen game, but barely beat TCU on Sunday, uh, 85 to 80 in overtime. Benedict Matherin was not the issue. He had 30 points, eight rebounds and Christian Coloco was not the issue either. He had 28 points, 12 rebounds and three blocks. Uh, they're two best players probably all season long right there, but it's, you know, it was a close scare for TCU. And if they come out playing like that against this Houston team, I, I don't love their chances against Houston. If, if that's the case, but um, I think they're going to pull, piece some things together. Uh, Tommy Lloyd has done an amazing job with that team. I think Matherin has been an incredible player. Coloco, um, I'm not sure if there's really anybody on Houston who can match up with Coloco in the low block. Um, you know, I, I I still like Arizona in this game. You know, I think that uh, Houston is going to keep it close. This one, just like Texas Tech and Duke, I think is going to come right down to the wire. But if I had to say, I'm going to go, I'm going to roll with um, with Arizona winning this game. And then the game that I'm sure everybody is going to be tuned into, number 15, St. Peter's, taking on number three, Purdue, on Friday. Um, St. Peter's has been the talk of the tournament right now, the Peacocks of New Jersey. Uh, St. Peter's beat Kentucky 85-79 to in the first round and then beat Murray state in the second round, 70 to 60. So they pretty much dominated. Um, and Defu, who's their star player had 17 points, 10 boards um, against Murray state and Doug Eddard, who has kind of been, you know, their mascot had 13 points against uh, Murray state had 20 points against Kentucky and Daryl banks, the third who 
uh, who was probably their best, if not their second best player, had 27 points against Kentucky. So this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, Purdue, on the other hand, beat Yale, destroyed Yale in the first round, and then beat Texas 81-71. to uh, Jaden Ivey had 18 points. Zach Eady, 10 points, 11 boards. Trevion Williams, 22.7 boards against Texas. Uh, completely dominated. You know, I as much as uh, it would be interesting to see St. Peter's pull this one out, um, I'd have to go with uh, Purdue in this one just because I think the, the luck is going to have to stop somewhere in Purdue. I Who's going to stop Zach Eady on that St. Peter's team? You know, I you could also say that about KJ Williams on Murray State and Oscar Shebway on uh, Kentucky. They were able to figure both of those guys out, but um, that I I just don't see I don't see them being able to keep up with Purdue. Um, I think that they might give give everybody some hope in the first half. I think that it could be a close game in the first half, and then Purdue kind of breaks it open towards the end. But once again. St. Peter's making the Sweet 16. Incredible story. Then we got number four, Providence versus number one, Kansas. <laughs> uh, Providence beat San Diego State and beat Richmond. Two pretty fair margin games. Um, you know, Providence was one of my picks to get eliminated early, and they've kind of been proving people wrong. They, you know, were the analytics uh, luckiest team in college basketball this season, but it's Providence has has looked very very sharp. Noah Horschler had 16 points, 14 boards against Richmond, um, Kansas. On the other hand, uh, destroyed Texas Southern 83 to 56, and then beat Creighton in a close one, 79 to 72. But they're starting to get locked in, and Kansas is one of the best teams in the country if they're playing their game. Jalen Wilson had 14 points, 14 boards. Uh, Christian Brown at 13 and 8. Baji at 15 and 8 on 5 of 14 shooting. And Remy Martin finally um, had a big impact, had 20 points against Creighton. I mean, if you got if you got contributions from that many uh, talented players, it's it's going to be tough to beat them. That's why I would go with Kansas again in this game. Um, I think that Kansas, you know, is is starting to get back on track. And I I don't see uh, I don't see them losing this game. But Providence, you know, they've they've been able to stick with just about everybody. So it, it's difficult to go against them, too. Then we got number eight, North Carolina, taking on number four, UCLA, Friday at nine th- at 940. Um, UNC beat Marquette and Baylor. Armando Baycott um, has been one of their best players. R.J. Davis had 30 points the other night against Baylor. Brady Manick had 26 points before being ejected for elbowing Jeremy Sohan. Uh, in the face that that was uh you know I I didn't think my personal opinion on that watching that game live um I don't think he should have been ejected I don't think it should have been a flagrant two but it definitely should have been a flagrant foul I mean it was a clear cut uh elbow flying backwards you know it was it was definitely a bad look for Manic but it was tough to lose him in that game and they ended up um North Carolina had controlled the entire game and Baylor ended up bringing it to overtime. And then UCLA, on the other hand, beat Akron and barely beat St. Mary's. So, a couple. So, you know, this is another game that I think could go either way. Uh, two teams that, you know, have have played some close games. North Carolina is kind of locked in right now. Uh, that's why I would probably choose North Carolina. To be honest with you, I think that 
think North Carolina's team is a lot more uh, is a lot more full, a lot more locked in than UCLA is right now. I I just like their odds a lot better. And then the final game, which will go down Friday night at ten o'clock, we have two teams who nobody expected to make it to the Sweet Sixteen: number eleven Iowa State and number ten Miami. So. You know, if somebody had to tell you that there there was going to be two ACC teams in the preseason, if somebody was going to tell you there was going to be two ACC teams in the Sweet 16 um, and and you had to guess the two, um, everybody would guess Duke, but I don't think anybody would guess Miami. And even same with Iowa State. Iowa State was projected to be the worst team in the Big 12 this season. Uh, was the worst team in the Big 12 last season and just completely turned things around. T.J. Oldsenberger came in there and brought in Isaiah Brockington and completely changed the culture in one year. It's absolutely incredible. When it, you know, I tweeted this out and stand by it too. You know, Jim Laranega has done a great job with Miami, but win or lose for Iowa State, this is this has been one heck of a successful season. Um, from the from how bottom and terrible they were last year to making it all the way to the sweet 16 in the matter of a year without bringing in like a ton of big names either they brought in some transfers brought in some freshmen but they didn't you know have a top recruiting class or land any of the big time recruits they just landed some top some interesting guys that ended up playing great for them and miami on the other hand has also been fantastic i i would go iowa state in this game um, I've liked Iowa State all season long. What I've seen from them, I never thought that they were able to compete with some of the uh, some of the other powerhouses in college basketball. But um, I, it's it's going to be. A, I think this is the coolest storyline to be honest with you because I don't really see St. Peter's advancing to the elite to the elite eight. But Miami or Iowa State will advance to the elite eight. One of those two is going to advance to the to the elite eight. Which no matter who that is, I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, the you, you, looking at the preseason, nobody would have expected these two to even get anywhere close to the tournament, let alone making it to the elite eights. But you know, that's college basketball. That's why you play a full season, and you never know what's going to happen. But that's good. That's the Sweet Sixteen for you, and that's going to wrap it up for tonight's episode. I want to thank everyone who tuned into the Review and Preview Network to watch another episode of the Three and D, and to all those listening via podcast, YouTube, etc. You can also follow the show on Twitter at the 3 and D. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week and stay tuned for more updates and brand new episodes coming every Tuesday night at seven o'clock. Everybody enjoy the sweet 16. Enjoy the elite eights. Enjoy the ticking down of the NBA season as it's coming down to the wire. And we'll see you next week uh, to preview the final four and talk some, uh, talk some more NBA hoops. So everybody have a good one, have a great week and we'll see you next week.